Amen. Praise God. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our Family Together online service. Can you believe it? It is already the month of July. Just like that, half a year has gone by and we are going to actually be starting physical services really, really soon. Stay tuned for more information on that. I'm sure many of you are eager to get back and I'm sure many of you are curious to find out how that will work. Just stay tuned. Uh, sit tight, we will get, give you more information really soon. We are in our Nehemiah series and today we have landed on Nehemiah chapter 3. I opened up with Nehemiah chapter 1, I think it was about two weekends ago, and now we are in Nehemiah chapter 3. And I've titled this weekend sermon this, Unusual Unity, Unusual Unity. And to begin my sermon today, I'm going to actually be sharing with you first an unusual scenario. Use your imagination right now. Imagine you are going to a banquet and you are so hungry. Maybe some of you are really hungry right now, right? If you are, kind of put it in the chat room right now. Yeah, I'm hungry or you've eaten or whatever. Just tell me how you're feeling in the chat. But just imagine this, you're going to a banquet um, and you are really, really hungry. You get to this banquet and you see the most awesome spread right there. I, I want to tell you something. When I go to a buffet, uh, I can't wait till buffets start again. But when I go to a buffet, the first section that I usually check out is the dessert section. Any of you like that, like me, you know, that's where I go and judge a buffet first by their dessert section. Now, you go to a banquet, you see an awesome spread there and you start taking whatever you like to eat. You start filling your plate up and then you go and you have a seat. And at your table, you suddenly find you have a problem. And the problem is this, you are unable to bend your arms and your elbows. How are you going to now eat your food, especially considering that you are super hungry right now? You have two options. The first option is not a very glamorous one, is to plunge your head face first into the plate and start devouring the food in front of you like a pig. The second option is, what if your arms are kind of be bent, right? What if you took your fork or your spoon and you fed the person across, sitting across you or the person sitting beside you and they did the same for you? That is a picture of unusual unity and that is how I believe the church should be like today. Instead of each and every one of us operating as individuals in a community, we should be a community that helps one another. What a community that works together with one another for a common cause to build the church and the kingdom of God together. You in Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, if you read, I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's a long passage with 32 verses. So you really, uh, I encourage you to read it on your own time or after this. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, there's a lot of things going on, or rather there's a lot of names being listed and a lot of gates being mentioned. So it's all this person building that gate, building that gate and all that. And, you know, we could go into 
looking into the meaning of the gates, right? Maybe, oh, you know, it's first is the sheep gate being mentioned. So the sheep gate represents Jesus as a lamb who uh, laid his life down. So therefore, we should go with the sheep gate first. But then we don't stop at the sheep gate. We go to the fish gate because the fish gate represents Jesus wanting us to be fishers of men. But then there is also the old gate mentioned in verse 6 where we it represents not embracing new truth of trends but sticking to the old truths and principles of God. We could go down that route, but and I actually wanted to, but when I look at the scripture, I thought to myself, that's perhaps getting a little bit too allegorical, and I just wanted to take the scripture uh, at face value and see what it talks about. And if I were to do that, really the picture or the message that Nehemiah chapter 3 sends across is this, unity, unity. Now get this, how something is built is as important as what is being built. How we build something is as important as what we build. The ends or the means does not necessarily always, the ends doesn't always necessarily justify the means. It's not just the product, but it's also the process in which we do it. Not just how we achieve a goal, but how we do it as a people, as a team, even as a Christian, how we set about achieving certain goals. Now listen to this, unity does not mean sameness, it means oneness of purpose. Being united doesn't mean we lose our individuality or we lose our personality or we lose ourselves, no but it means that we bring ourselves, every different part of us, to come together and to be united for a common cause. And what's incredible about um, Nehemiah is that he managed to get this wall rebuilt, this wall around Jerusalem that has been in ruins for a long time, to be rebuilt in 52 days. That's remarkable. But what is even more remarkable or extraordinary or even unusual, if you would say, is that Nehemiah managed to get a bunch of people from different backgrounds who have actually been back from exile and, been, and have been living in Jerusalem for about 90 years. So for 90 years, they were procrastinating, but yet Nehemiah got them to be united for this common cause and they achieved it in 52 days. Now, you know, when it comes to unity, the Bible also has some interesting things to say about unity. I'm reminded of yet another unusual story in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Most of you will know this, right? If you don't, just go and look it up in your free time. But essentially, it's this, a bunch of people who are united, they, had, they spoke the same language and they uh, had the same purpose, they decided they wanted to build a tower so tall, reaching up to the heavens so that they can be almost like God. And when God saw this, you know what God did? God scattered them and confused their language. In fact, God even remarked, because they are so united and because they speak the same language, right? we must do something about this. Um, I wouldn't say God actually feel, felt threatened by it because He's God, obviously, but God obviously saw that, uh, or the story obviously tells us that when you are united, you can achieve something, almost anything. 
whether it's for God or for our own selfish reasons. And the people building the Tower of Babel obviously were looking to establish their own uh, purposes. But I want us to recognize that as Nehemiah is a lot about rebuilding the wall. And now this wall could be metaphorically represents, um, you know, the church, the kingdom of God, your family, businesses, whatever it is. But as we rebuild, we are not just rebuilding. We may be doing different parts of the wall, just like what um, Nehemiah chapter 3 shows, but we are building together. We are in this together. We are not meant to be alone. Why don't you just put in the chat room right now and say, we are in this together, right? We're in this together. If you're sitting at home, tap someone next to you and say, we're in this together. If your spouse is sleeping next to you, knock them, you know, in the head right now and go, wake up, we're in this together, right? Together, we will achieve unity and unity will bring about victory. Now, I've got three points today to tell you how we can bring about this unity. And the reason why I titled my sermon Unusual Unity is because in this day and age, unity does not seem to be something that's very usual. In fact, right now, the world is divided on so many different issues, right? Divided on how we should handle this COVID-19 pandemic, divided on how we should restart the economy, divided on how we should interpret this Black Lives Matter thing. Even within camps of Black Lives Matter, you know, no one can really agree on what it's really about. So when, we, when all the more it's important for a divided world to see a united church. So I'm going to draw from Nehemiah chapter 3, just three points on how we can achieve this unusual unity. The first point is this, common desire. The focus is on the word desire, common desire. You see, when Nehemiah's, when the people in in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3, when they came together, they obviously have to have the same goal or same idea of what the wall should be like. Otherwise, it would be chaos. Can you imagine if one person decided, you know what, I'm, we are going to build a decorative wall. We're going to put pictures of ponies. I don't know, right? Pictures of horses, pictures of donkeys, you know, some scenery on it. We're going to paint it and look, make it look really nice. And then imagine if another group of people decided, no, we're going to build the biggest wall in the history of all walls. We're going to have spikes coming out of it. You know, there's going to be like cannonballs, uh, you know, fire droplets, whatever. I don't know. But all of them had a common idea which was sold by Nehemiah. And what was that? That was found in actually Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, where Nehemiah said, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been buried with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah sold the people a vision not his personality. They so, he sold them a goal, a purpose. He sold into them those things. He didn't build all his effort around his personality, but he based it on a common vision, goal, and purpose. In fact, you don't actually see Nehemiah's name appear in the whole of chapter 3. He, it doesn't. There is a Nehemiah mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 16, 
uh, where he's called Nehemiah, son of Asbuk. But that's actually not the Nehemiah of the book of Nehemiah. You know what it tells me? That tells me that Nehemiah was not interested in credit or fame. He was just driven by purpose, whether he got the credit or not. He did not um, decree that the wall should be called, you know, the memorial wall of Nehemiah, or here lies the grand effort of Nehemiah, or to the honorary Nehemiah. Yeah? He didn't do any of that. In fact, in the last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 31, the very last line of the book of Nehemiah, you know what Nehemiah said? In Nehemiah 13, verse 31, he said this, God, that you will remember me with favor. That was Nehemiah's primary motivation that he wanted to fulfill the purpose and of God and the vision that God has given him. He wasn't after credit or fame. He was just being faithful with what he was being assigned to. And that's what we need to have when we want unity, that we have the common desire, and that is to honor God and to lift Him up and to do His will. In fact, when we serve, I want to ask each and every one of us to search our hearts. If we serve God, whether it's in church or whether it's in our business world or whether it's um, anything that we do, what motivates us to serve? Are we lifting the name of Jesus or are we interested in actually having our name lifted up? Are we building God's kingdom or are we building our own? Are we advancing God's agenda or are we looking for opportunities to advance our own? In fact, that's really revealed in two instances where you don't get what you want and when you are being disappointed when you serve. Let's put it this way. When we serve, not everything will go our way. When we walk in the ways of God, not everything will actually go our way um, at first. We will face opposition, just like Nehemiah did. In, immediately in chapter 4, you see he faces opposition. But really, what is our motivation? What is our desire? Right? Some people, they go into ministry and they're looking for position and for platform. And when you don't get it, they get jaded and they get burnt out, they get offended and they leave. But no, ministry is not about those things. It is about lifting the person of Jesus. It's not about who gets what title or who gets what recognition or position or acknowledgement. No, it's about all of us serving God so that His name and His agenda can be lifted up. And you know, this common desire is the same as well in our lives, this common vision. A couple of, um, recently someone actually had a conversation with me and he asked me this, what is your opinion of getting into uh, business, uh, being, becoming a business partner with someone who isn't a Christian? And I thought to myself, that's a really good question. And the more I thought about it, I realized that it's not an issue of whether that person is a Christian or not. The issue is whether you and that person that you want to go in business with, whether you guys would have the same vision, whether you guys would have the same values, whether you want to achieve the same things. Because one person could value this thing and another person could value something else, and those things may not align. 
You know, a couple of years ago when uh, my wife was still uh, working before she decided to take a break to take care of our little daughter, uh, she was working in this company and just before she left the company, the people in the company actually offered her an opportunity to become a partner in their business. And we, we prayed about it and she prayed about it. And um, you know, it was a very um, tempting offer because it was an opportunity that came along and it in all logical sense, it, uh, it made a lot of, uh, it seemed like the right thing to do at that point of time. But one of the reasons why she turned that offer down was that she uh, and I, you know, through prayer and through reflection, we discovered actually these people will not be, um, uh, we will not be partnering with people who have the same vision and the same heart. So we decided not to do that. And Another, you know, another big thing that, another question that people often ask, hey, is it okay for me to date or marry a non-Christian, right? What, what's, what's wrong with that, right? Let me tell you really simply, let me put this to you, right? That if you marry rightly, you will get a prayer partner. But if you marry wrongly, you will end up with a prayer point. And when we make such a big decision as finding someone to settle down with, man, we got to get someone who would have the same vision and same desire as us if we want to see unity in that union. Now, that doesn't mean that if you marry a Christian and you are a Christian, that your marriage should be problem-free. No, but it will mean that you will be building on the same truth and the same things. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this to verse 16, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Now, this scripture here talks about not being unequally yoked with believers. That doesn't mean that now we as Christians, we get into this supremacy mode where we think that we are better than people who are not Christians and we don't want to interact with them. No, but it does mean that we have to be very intentional with who we partner with. We have to be very intentional to actually only get into any certain kind of covenant relationship or partnership with people who have the same value and same desire as us if we want to see unity. In fact, if you want to find out a little bit more about this unequally yoked thing, I'm going to put a link right here now. You can take a look at this. Um, it's just bit.ly uh, forward slash or backslash unyoked. I wrote an article on uh, what it means to actually be unequally yoked and how that applies to dating life, right? If you want to find out more, just go to that link. But at the end of the day, when we want to see unity achieved, we need to have that common desire across the board, everywhere. We need to have the same idea, same picture that, hey, we're here to glorify God. Hey, when we get into a business, this is what we want to do. We want to be blessed in order to be a blessing. When we get married, we don't just want to find a life companion who would keep us from being lonely. No, we want to get into a relationship that will push us to the next level in our faith so that we can achieve or we can see the destiny that God has on our lives. Nehemiah 3 verse 20 says this, Next to him 
Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from angle to entrance of the house of Eliash, the high priest. When there's a common desire, when there's a common vision, then you will see passion, you will see zeal, you will see energy. And that's what the church, the house of God, that's what SIBKL needs, a common desire, not just from the leaders, but from all of us, that we would lift up the name of Jesus, that we will fulfill the great commission, that we will bring revival to Sabah, Sarawak, whatever it is. We need that in order for our church to go to the next level, a common desire. The second point is this, unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. You know, God is a God of diversity. God is a creative God. In fact, God is the original creative because He is a creator. But if you think about creativity, something is only creative when there's diversity. Can you imagine if when God, if God created all the animals and there was only one type of animal, right? Or um, I would have been okay if God left out the insects, um, especially the cockroaches, right? But I don't know, God decided to become a bit too creative for my liking. But can you imagine if um, there was only one type of food? I mean, one of the reasons why Malaysia is the best place to have food is that you got all kinds of different types of food. You got nasi lemak, you got chakwetia, you got roti canai, you know, you got chicken rice, you got all this variety, right? Western food, what have they got? Potatoes, right? <laughs> no, no hate to uh, all my Western uh, friends and family, right? But diversity, diversity is the thing that actually gives flavor, that gives variety in life. But diversity quite often is the thing that gets in the way of unity as well. It's because when we look at our differences, we don't realize that we should actually, instead of competing and comparing, we should be collaborating and complementing instead with our differences. Not to compete, not to compare, but to collaborate and to complement. A very clear picture is when you play a team sport. In a team sport, every person has different strengths, every different has different positions that they play, but all of them form a team with a common purpose, right? All of them form, they have a unique role to play or unique position that they are in, but all of them come together to play together to achieve victory together. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12, that uh, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole, I love this scripture because the whole portion from verse 12 to about verse 30, Paul describes the body of Christ or the church or the kingdom of God, believers as a body. And he then illustrates how, you know, the body is different parts. So now I'm going to paraphrase, right? And he even goes as far to say that, you know, just because the hand is not the eye or the eye is not the foot or the foot is not the nose, that's not mean that they do not belong to the body. No, all of them, though different and unique in its own sense, are actually part of one body and all of them worked together, right? If, where do we see this in Nehemiah 3? We see it in verse 2, verse 5, verse 7, verse 13, verse 14, verse 16, and verse 17. What do we see? That many other people from other cities come to join this rebuilding 
effort. That is a picture of unity in diversity. People traveling from all over, lending their expertise to rebuild. In fact, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 to 26, it says this, There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's unity in diversity. So get this, not everyone is prominent, but everyone is significant. Not everyone is prominent, but everyone is significant. In church, not everyone gets to be on stage. Can you imagine how, what, how disastrous that would be if everybody served and they wanted to be on stage, right? There'll be nobody in the pews, right? But that doesn't mean that if you're not seen, that you're not significant, no. And here's another principle. Just because someone else wins doesn't mean you lose. We need to get that as believers. That just because another believer is more blessed, just because somebody else gets more recognition, does not mean we are left out or we lose. As the scripture tells us, when one part of the body is honoured, the whole body is honoured. When one part of the body is hurting, the whole body hurts together. So we should have this care and concern and recognise that even in our diversity, in our differences, God binds us together with unity and we have to choose to walk in that unity now with unity there are different things one thing is there are different roles number one different roles to play i already mentioned that in a team different positions that they will play even in this scripture you see different people rebuilding different portions of the walls not all of them um, not every one of them may have been prominent and some of them may have have more difficult jobs than others, but all of them were significant. The second thing that was different is that there were different skill sets, different people, different people with different skill sets being involved. Where did I get that? Nehemiah 3 verse 8, where it says, Uziel, son of Hahaya, I don't know, <laughs> that's how you say it, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next session, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to the wall. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Amazing. It's not just the priests or the noblemen that got involved. It was even perfume makers and goldsmiths who got involved in rebuilding of the wall. So people of diverse backgrounds, diverse skill sets coming together for a common cause. This, I feel, applies to those of you in the marketplace. Building God's house and building the kingdom of God is not just for the full-time workers like the pastors and the church staff, but it's even you guys in the marketplace, right? Because here, the Bible mentions in Nehemiah 3, even the goldsmiths and the perfume makers were involved. So I want to encourage you, whatever God has given you, whatever little thing that you can do, or whatever big thing that you are led to do, use it for the glory of God. Build God's house, but also build a business, a career that glorifies Him. And the third thing is this, different generations and genders coming together. Nehemiah 3 verse 12, it says this, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. 
I love this picture because here it shows that unity doesn't just involve people of um, the same kind, but involves people of all generations as well as all genders. That's what the Bible says in Galatians, that in Christ there is neither Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave or free. All are one in Christ. So can I encourage you that when we come together, let's work together. Whether we're young, whether we are young at heart or whether we are younger, whether you are male or female, Right? When it comes to different even reporting lines or authority and all that, hey, it doesn't matter. Um, our, our age or our gender should not play a big factor, but it, what should actually make a big difference is whether we are working together in order to bring about this common purpose and that is to see God being glorified. My last point is this. So I've got common desire. I've had... Um, unity in diversity and I got the last thing here another D unwavering dedication in order for us to see this unusual unity we need to have unwavering dedication now whatever metaphorical wall you are building whether we are re you're rebuilding your business after um, the MCO now or rebuilding your career or even just now building your family or building your ministry whatever it is that the wall applies to you personally let's apply this principle let's not give so little to the one who has given us so much when we serve God let's not give God the scraps but let's give him the best let's not be part-time Christians but expect a full-time God. Let's be dedicated not just to work hard, but to have integrity while we are working. Let's also uh, remember that it's not just what we build, but it's how we build it. Let's be ruthlessly defending unity. Let's be ruthlessly working towards unity. Let's be dedicated to the cause and to the house and to the purpose of God with all our hearts and all our being because God gave his very best and we in return we should give our best we should give our first fruits our, our best, best onto him, him right? right and being, being dedicated, dedicated means three things. things the first thing is this being dedicated means being humble and get this only small people think they are too big for certain tasks only small people think they're too big for certain tasks. Nehemiah 3 verse 5 says this, The next session was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But look at this, But their nobles will not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Now, I don't know who these nobles were. I don't know what's so noble about them. But this, they clearly display a unhumble or prideful um, posture that they were not willing to take part in this and here's the thing when we come to church we should recognize that God is not impressed by our position God is not impressed by our achievements God is not even impressed by our degrees or wealth and all of that no no God is looking at our heart isn't that what first Samuel 16 verse 7 says man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart so when we come to 
church, no matter what background we come from, no matter how well or maybe how not so well we are doing in life, no, we're coming together as a com- for a common purpose and we should be humble. We should be willing to interact with anyone. We should welcome anyone. We should do any task that is needed or required in order for the church to win. The second thing of being dedicated, um, it means this, is willing to work outside the area of strength or comfort. The willingness to work one, outside one's area of strength and comfort. Where do I get this? Nehemiah 3 verse 1. It says, Eliash the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Now, I don't know about you, but I think high priests are not necessarily the most skilled builders, right? I don't, when they went to um, theological school, I'm sure they did not learn construction, right? But that day did not allow that to stop them. In fact, even in this MCO period, I want to honor those of you um, leaders, volunteers, businessmen, or whoever, where you have been so agile and versatile that you started picking up skills outside of your comfort zone. Some of you had to pick up skills doing this thing called Zoom, right? Some of you had to pick up video editing skills. Some of you had to now start thinking, how do I advertise digitally and all that? And man, there's a willingness to adapt and change but all the more so when it comes to serving in the kingdom and the house of God, will we, like the high priest here, be willing to work outside the areas of our strength and comfort, not so that we can just torture or torment ourselves, but so that we can achieve a common purpose. The last thing of being dedicated, the third thing is this, willing to do undesirable or less glamorous jobs. Where do I see that? Nehemiah 3 verse 14. This person here by the name of um, Melchizedek had to rebuild this thing called the Dung Gate. The Dung Gate. Even the name itself, it's not very nice. The Dung Gate. And as the name suggests, it was the gate where all of the waste, right? All of the, you know, I don't want to say that word. All of the stuff was going to that place. But one person had to build it. And he didn't just build it. Nehemiah 3.14 actually mentions that he built it and he also ensured that the doors and the bolts were well placed together. So he had to do an undesirable or less glamorous job, but he did it well. And that's what having dedication means. So, what I want to honor those of you who have been serving in church or even in your companies or even at home that you've been doing certain tasks that, has, that others may have deemed as undesirable or less glamorous, right? It could, you know, one person that I really, 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 really honor is my wife, right? My wife you know, took a break from her career so that she could stay at home and take care of my daughter. For many people, it may seem like, oh, you're just like a homemaker, right? But for me, I say, man, she's my armor bearer. She's, you know, she's the one that sharpens my sword. She's the one that actually ensures that my house is taken care of so that I can go out and serve God. You know, if she did not do that, I don't know how I could be doing all of this. Man, I want to honor her. I want to honor those of you who clock in day in and day out, um, you know, for, for, for church, you know, whether you are 
doing ushering or whether you are the worship team and you do all these little things that people don't see even the people behind the cameras right now right they are they're standing right here man you guys you, you don't see the effort and the energy that they put into making our online service work but man hey light up a chat room right now and just honor these people honor the mac team honor the ushers honor the worship team honor your employees honor the um the moms the dads who sacrifice so much because they are willing to do jobs that not everybody can do they're showing dedication and with that unity can come and his kingdom can be brought victory and glory and as i close i want to share with you just a few things right just a few personal reflections you know as a journey um this 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 whole passage is about unity and all that but Nehemiah, you know, is almost like a textbook on leadership. And here are a few things that I want to share just uh, as my journey as a leader so far. You know, one of the misconceptions about a leader, about being a leader, is there's three things. One, you have to be the most knowledgeable. Two, you have to be involved in everything. And three, you must get the recognition. In fact, the truth about being a leader is this. I've learned this. You don't have to be the best in the team, but you have to bring out the best in your team. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, he, I'm sure there were more people who were better orators than him or better organizers than him. No, but what he did was he brought different people from different backgrounds together to achieve a purpose. The second thing I've learned you know, about the truth of being a leader is this. Delegate, empower, and trust. Give people authority, not just task. Empower them and they will grow. The third thing is this, give credit to your team, but take the criticism for them. You know, as a leader, I've learned this, it's okay if other people in the team get the credit. You know, it's okay if they get, you know, they get um, praise, it's okay with that, but when criticism comes in, I should not be so quick to throw them under the bus, but I should actually stand up for them and protect them. That's what being a godly, kingdom-minded leader is about. And I will close with this. My sermon is called Unusual Unity. So I want to tell you, I started with an unusual story, I want to end with another unusual story. But this is somewhat um, a true story, I think. The story basically goes this way. There were a bunch of missionaries who went to some islands in the Philippines and they were going to reach out to the natives there called the Aptan Negrito people. You can Google that if you want. Um, and when they went there, they noticed that these people, you know, they live in villages and they were mainly uh, huntsmen and, you know, they, 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 they were primitive. They were, so they hunted for food. They grew, they grew their own food and, you know, they fish and all that. So not very advanced group of uh, people in this society. And as they went to reach out to these people, they actually, uh, one day, one of the missionaries taught them how to play this game called croquet. Um, I don't know where you know this game called croquet. If you do, put it in the um, uh, chat group. Tell me, hey, I know this game. Hey, I play this game. Hey, I'm great at this game, right? But for those of you who don't, I'm actually not very familiar with this game. I had to go and Google it to see what it's like. But this game is really, really simple. What you do is you play um, this game with a wooden mallet, kind of like a wooden bat. And on the floor, you have different what they call wickets, right? It's kind of like little mini goal posts and uh, you got a few balls um, around. So what you would do is this, one, it, you play against each other. So you would, the first player to get 
all the balls through the wickers with their wooden bat, their wooden mallet, wins. But along the way, what you can do is you can knock someone else's ball out of the court and then you gain an advantage. So the missionaries taught the people to play this game and they were very excited and they started playing this game. But as they were playing this game, the missionary advised some of them, say, hey, when you see your opponent's ball or your, your other villagers or your other friend's ball, knock them out of the, knock it out of the court. And the villagers look bemused and they look confused by the suggestion and they, they're wondering, why should we do that? And the missionary tells him, so that you can win. But they just ignore him and they just go on playing the game they, like they want to. And how the missionary observed them playing this game was this. When one person, one person would get all his ball, balls through the wickers, but once he's done, he goes back and he helps the other player and gives him tips on how to get the ball through all the wickers. And at the end, when the final player gets his ball through the last wicker, all of them huddle together and they celebrate, we've won, we've won. And if you think about this story, that is such an amazing picture of how the church, the kingdom of God and believers should be. That we should not be so quick to see who can I step on, who can I get a hit from, who can I push aside in order to get an advantage. No, but as we all work together, we will win and ultimately God gets the glory. I will end by reading one portion of scripture from Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. It says this, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. As we close, I want to pray for those of you, um, maybe you're lacking unity right now in your home. I want to speak a blessing uh, over your household that there will be unity between husband and wife, between father and, and children, mom and children, and even brother and sister. Maybe that's what you're lacking today. This, this, this unity that's so unusual in the world today, I believe it can come by applying the Word of God, but by also trusting the Holy Spirit. Those of you, maybe you're going through tough times in your business or even amongst your ministry, your sales, whatever conflicts that you're experiencing right now, can I just pray that the Holy Spirit will fall and convict each and every one of you so that greater unity can be achieved. And then I want to pray a you know, general prayer for our whole church that as we um, go into the next couple of months and years ahead, that we will be united as one purpose. After the service, if you need further prayer, uh, we're going to close in a moment. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing this song. But after the service, if you need further prayer, join this online uh, prayer room that is available to you. Someone will be there to minister to you and all that. But for now, let me just pray for each and every one of you watching 
with me right now. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that your word is powerful and that your word is true. I thank you that your word, where it goes forth, it shall not return void. Father, I speak for unity across the whole of SIBKL in Jesus' name. Father, I also speak for unity across all the churches in Malaysia and in the world that we will be of one spirit, though diverse, but we will be of one. Lord, I also pray for households. I pray for businesses. I pray for teams, different areas of life where there are uh, different groups of people coming together. Lord, I pray that there'll be a unity so that as they experience unity, they would know that the hand and the favor of the Lord is upon them. Help each and every one of us, including myself, to be godly, to work for unity, to fight for unity, that together that we will advance God's kingdom and ultimately only you will win God and the devil will lose. We don't want to win arguments, we want to win battles for the Lord. We want to win uh, victories for you, God. So help us now, be that people, as shown in Nehemiah chapter 3, to be people of an unusual unity. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you may have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible tells us that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved and you will have eternal life. Today, if you want to receive Jesus, why don't you follow me in this prayer? Father God, I confess I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, to die on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose on the third day. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you for loving me and accepting me as your child. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.